Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. Hi, guys. Greetings. Greetings, Hello, indeed. Lee. Sometimes you can tell by the energy in the intro, which is the second episode we recorded <laughs> in a back-to-back recording session. We're keeping it more in the NPR zone this particular time. We're glad you've joined us. Oh, I love the idea of doing an NPR-styled Say That episode. In fact, until I get bored with it, that's what I'm going to be doing for the remainder of this episode. (laughs) All right, fair enough. I think our first segment might lend itself to that in a This American Lifestyle. We went to the heartland and gawked at the people there. Um, Because I have an emergency to declare. A Linton emergency. No, oh. no less. An emergency. Here on All Emergencies Considered, uh, we <laughs> bring you a story of Lent and a story of men. A story of Lent for men. That's right. Lentformen.com was sent our way this week. And uh, if you thought that the problem with the Lenten season up to now was it was too focused on women, I guess. I don't sure. One thing we know is whether it's a a razor or a conference or deodorant, if something is marketed for men, it normally means it's worse and more <laughs> aggressively marketed and weirdly colored. Yeah. It's green and black yeah. for some reason. But so we've got lentformen.com. Lent for men is a 40-day spiritual exercise based on three pillars making it three-fifths as good as Islam, which I'm not sure is the best way for you to start out. (laughs) Prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. Aha! It's an introduction to a different kind of life, a life of responsibility, meaning, and true freedom. For 40 days, men commit to prayer, asceticism, a fancy word for acts of self-denial. Seems like you could have just said that then. And fraternity. Now, so we're on the here's how it works page, and we can't see the full list because um, you can only you can sign up for an app that is a seven day trial. And after that, you will be invited to join something called Exodus Plus for ninety dollars a year. Uh I got an offer of the Peacock streaming service for like thirty dollars a year because they're running a special. It has the English Premier League and every WCW pay-per-view ever. I'm not sure Exodus Plus can compete on a dollar-for-dollar basis. Matthew, how much asceticism does Peacock have to offer you, though? Well, that depends on how you feel about NBC sitcoms. (laughs) I will say this. (laughs) That's funny. I will say this. If Exodus Plus gave you access to actually sending one of the ten plagues that were visited upon Egypt... If it allowed you access to the plagues, now we're talking. That 90 bucks a year sounded pretty good. That's definitely true. Dude, Plague Maker, the app, I I would sign up for a subscription to that for sure. (laughs) Plague Maker. (laughs) Like, for sure. For sure. So I I clicked the the link on their website to take me to the app store for Exodus 90, Live Different. So it appears that this was like a... Christian men lifestyle thing that they just made a kind of half-hearted Lent version of and didn't change the name of it. And I I don't mean to judge in this kind of thing, but 
that that feels bordering on actual sacrilege. To be like, we have mm. this thing we're already monetizing. Eh, let's make it about the crucifixion. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, let's let. Oh, I'm on uh, Exodus ninety right now. Maybe we'll get a little bit more insight. Grow closer to God. Become a better man every day. Exodus ninety begins on January 9th, twenty three. Give up technology. Take cold showers. Abstain from alcohol. All around the world, thousands of men are finding themselves trapped in negative, habitual thought patterns and behaviors. You know what we're talking about. Endless scrolling through useless noise. Unsending, unending binges of shows you stopped caring about three seasons ago. Two, three, four, five drinks per night celebrating nothing in particular. We live for the weekends and then waste them away. This is starting to sound like some kind of diary entry. Yeah, a little bit. Surely we were made <laughs> for more than this. Exodus 90 is injured, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, you know, you be better, do stuff. Uh, egg, why Exodus 90 and the Exodus seasons? Exodus is different. More than 90% of men who complete Exodus 90 report being more free, free from unhealthy attachments. Uh-huh. I don't know what that means, but I think it means porn. Yeah, yeah. But if you're new to yeah. the show, we find out that we find that whenever particularly something male-focused uh, in Christian culture has a weird bit of wording that doesn't mean anything. They're just trying to say porn. You know, on this issue, we're talking about men's struggles and men's issues and the the kind of issues that men deal with. All men everywhere with no exceptions, especially you, Jim. All men. (laughs) Exodus increases men's faith satisfaction, which is a term that I will never be free of now. Faith satisfaction helps them spend 46% more time in prayer and increases their participation at church. I really love the specificity of 46%. Yeah. More. yeah. The specif. Yeah. The, 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 the stats. It's like one thing that men love is the, uh, the sports stats. Yeah. Do you, you want to market this thing? Put some stat numbers in there, baby. Absolutely. You wouldn't believe my prayers batted in. <laughs> <laughs> that was great that was very very well done um thank you thank yeah you. so this is all crazy pants but that brings us back to what the the lenten version here uh so, so we're all clear you know the lenten season historically used by followers of jesus to prepare their minds and hearts to really focus on the the sacrifice of our lord his defeat of death and all that. So let's figure out how this particular uh, app that you pay for can assist in that. You got your three pillars. Uh, again, I can't go, I can't uh, tell you everything because when you click see the full list on any of these, it takes you to the page to pay for their uh, premium app. Yeah. Which is, mm. yeah, that's for people who I imagine would get real wound up about, we don't do things the way the world does. This is just a normal marketing website with a Jesus stuff plugged in. So something to think about. Uh, prayer. <laughs> Read Lent reading and reflection. Offer up a holy hour of prayer daily. Mm. During Lent, you will build up a habit of daily prayer. You will become an, you will commit to a holy hour each day. You can't do an entire hour on a given day. Do as much as you can with a minimum of 20 minutes of silent prayer time. With addiction, in addition, you will read through the book of Exodus, and the daily scriptures be, be, will be accompanied by a reflection. Exodus, famous Lent text. Yeah. yeah. Again, pretty low effort in you just reskinning your Lent, your Exodus app. 
to be about <laughs> to be for Lent. I also enjoy the the minimum hour and minimum twenty minutes of of uh, silent prayer time. That's that's a fun just make up a thing to fail at. Sure, why not? Yeah. Are you guys familiar with something called seventy five hard? Yes. No. So this is a Lee. This is a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, it was a book. I guess started the seventy five hard, a tactical guide to winning the war with yourself. It's like a vet bro influencer thing, but it's like you commit to seventy five days and you like you diet and you only take cold showers and you work out for X amount of time and you read, which is always funny to me that on these things, these kind of self help things, these people always add reading to a list of horrible things you have to put yourself through, which I think. <laughs> Reveal something. So I think this is just a Christian version of that, trying to like develop mental toughness and do CrossFit for your brain or whatnot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially, I'm sure you're going to get there, but when you get down to the specifics of what they let us see for asceticism. Yeah. Let's go there right now. Yeah, one of the things is to abstain from video games, to abstain from TV and movies and televised sports alone. And one of the things is practice regular intense exercise. Yes. Oh, yeah. Exercise at least three times a week, doing something rigorous enough to get your heart rate up. If you have guidance from your doctor, please follow that. You may notice reputable things when they recommend exercise. They say, please consult your doctor first. These guys' lawyers yeah. told them you have to mention a doctor somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah the, the emoji next to asceticism which is an interesting choice is a shower head. So I'm assuming only cold showers, which they don't even go through the effort of being like, cause Jesus didn't have access to a hot water heater. They're just like, yeah, just do it. Cause it sucks. <laughs> One of them is abstain from eating between meals. It's like, this is just, this is just stuff you guys think is cool. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. On the abstain from video game ones. Uh, first of all, I love that the, uh, the controller emoji they got from their clip art seems to be, like an, a Super Nintendo controller, which is yes. very Indeed it is. Definitely. Do not play video games on a game system, computer, mobile device, or by any other means. What other means would there be? Hmm. I guess like going to an arcade if you can find one. There yeah, you go. I like that. I like that. If, you got, if you've got a cabinet Galaga, that's okay. <laughs> I think. <laughs> because that would be cool enough and manly enough. If you have a cabinet console in your home of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game, I think it would be an affront to God not to get the most enjoyment out of that that you could. That's right. If you have that, you should invite us over. We would like to play it, too. Yes, you can Absolutely. play four people at one time. That's the whole point of that game. Uh, offer this sacrifice and consider what God may be calling you to do with that time. Maybe God's calling you to play video games with that time. Yeah. To not at least be open to that yeah. possibility is an affront to the Lord. This week, this podcast you know, is brought to you by the Sony, the PlayStation 5. God wants you to have one. <laughs> like, one one thought, right? Like, <laughs> somewhere in the material, they're definitely going to bring up, because, like, in the spirit of nothing news under the sun, like, Christians have been trying to do programs like this forever. Like, one of the things they're going to bring up at some point is how this is going to make you a better husband and father. And um, here's the thought. If you want to be a better husband and father, play some video games, and then that hour you're supposed to be spending in contemplative prayer go hang out with your wife and your kids, like spend time with them. They, they, yeah. Like if you take 40 days doing a lifestyle that makes you miserable in every way, your spouse and children will notice that you're miserable. 
Yeah. It's it's a happy little miracle. Like that's uh, that's, that's not gonna work. Dad, why are you so upset all the time? Because for 38 days I've been taking cold showers <laughs> and I can't have any snacks. <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked Come about on. this a lot over the years in this show. Every bit of this is rooted in the idea that God demands you be miserable in order to be holy. And that's, yeah. uh, if that's the message you take from Easter, you need to try again. <laughs> <laughs> they mentioned their thing. The ascetic practice laid out in Lent for men help you detach from things of the world. We say no to small things in order to say yes to the big things that God calls us to. Asceticism is not about proving something to yourself or to others. Is it not? Because some of us have read about the, the desert fathers and the ascetics. That's pretty much the whole thing. That was pretty much the whole thing. It has been from the yep. beginning. Yep. Uh, also people who are running from their, in some cases, it seemed like very literal demons. Yeah. People were like, I, something about my personality compels me to go live on top of a pole in the desert. Ah, oh, the Simon Stylides experience. Indeed. Uh, though it makes Lent for men distinct, it is not the point. That's a weird way to admit, like, this isn't anything. We just needed something to sell this on. <laughs> and the final one, fraternity, which is where we come to the overlap of Lent for men and the French Revolution. Ah, yes. Three points, one of which is fraternity. Uh, one of them, weekly fraternity meeting. Once a week, everyone in the fraternity should meet to chat. I, mean, I assume fraternity is like they make you do a small group, but I like the idea of a dad who's doing the 40 days of Lent, just misconstruing this and going to like a Sigma Chi meeting. <laughs> <laughs> like You guys aren't getting the no video game thing at all. <laughs> dad, where did you get that toga? <laughs> <laughs> so um, why? That's a great question. Why, indeed. After Easter Sunday, which they put a sunglasses emoji, I can't point out enough that in this very serious Lent for Men thing, every bullet point has an, has an apple emoji next to it. Which may be undercutting your point about your spiritual serious, seriousness. Uh, after Easter Sunday, we feast. We raise a glass. We continue on the path to virtue. Again, not the point of Easter. Right. You've really... Really whiffed on this one, guys. And, of course, at the end, you sign up for Exodus Plus for $90 a year or Exodus Basis for $10 a month. Men who join Exodus Plus get a year-long roadmap for living different beyond Easter Sunday. Um, Cool. You don't need to do this. Um, no. You can, uh, if, you're, if, you, if you're a man who wants to, to do Lent, that's cool. Uh, you just do. You just, like you read the Bible every day. Um, do you want to go old school and give up chocolate or something? Super not in the scriptures, but if it makes you feel better, sure, fine. Uh, Lee has a lovely audio devotional. You can check out uh, for the Lenten season. You could uh, you could just be uh, less of a prick every day for thirty <laughs> days. Personally, I'm giving up uh, legalism for Lent. That's my that's my sacrifice. You could give up a cute, weird, bad Christian takeoffs of things that are already bad. <laughs> yeah. Again, we don't do this to be conformed to the pattern of this world. This just happens to be all the things of an already popular self-improvement fad with a thin patina of Jesus on top of them. 
Yeah. That is the most conformed to the pattern of the world one can be, guys. Can I read something from the actual scriptures? Yeah, of course. In the midst of this? Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, this is Colossians 2, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle video game controllers. Do not taste snacks like goldfish. Do not touch, you know, whatever. These rules, which have, not, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such reg- regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But, this is the scriptures I'm about to quote, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Colossians chapter 2. Yeah. I, I don't know how you're going to sell an app based on that. <laughs> well, t- to make a semi-serious point, which you know makes me uncomfortable in the emergency, um, there's a, an, an interesting kind of pattern here where it is the, the kind of minutia of it and the self-description of it is, you know, very much this is denying yourself. This is, you know, we're going to learn from this. We're going to do aesthetics. Um, wanting to appear hardcore and like, do a thing in a way that that is not denying yourself. No, in the actual spiritual way that is, that is giving in to a lot of mankind's worst instincts Um, to say, well, I'm, but I'm not having any goldfish and I'm taking cold showers. Uh, John 10, 10 says that Christ came that you might have life and have it the fullest. In my estimation, that includes every hot shower that is available to you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it may not work for you all the time. If people want to do something for Lent, give up something for Lent, they want to do a 75 hard, that's cool. That's, that's fine. But uh, the overall theory that self-denial will lead you into being a better Christian has been pretty roundly debunked at this point, so we could just, yeah. we could just not. Yeah. Maybe that should be uh, what people give, do for Lent. Just, just stop. That's people, advice we can all believe in. People ask, what are you giving up yeah. for Lent? Pretty much all of it. <laughs> or nothing just i'm giving up for lent yeah giving up yeah. Lent. no you didn't hear me i'm giving up for lent <laughs> well with that out of the way we will declare a lent emergency off we'll move on to our first question here hey, all the way to the end i have some ways you can get in touch with this first question comes in and says sometimes when people are talking about something they did wrong part of the explanation is that's not who i really am feels very christian to say that and also, but also for all sinful, it kind of is, right? Is that an actual explanation? I think it's a very, very interesting question. We talked recently about kind of, and we talked over the years on the show about scandal and how to react to that and the, what an apology actually is. And I think this is something that is very mm. common in both the, the press release style of apology where someone gets busted doing something, they go and say, oh, well, those hundreds of Facebook posts that I didn't think anyone could see, that doesn't actually reflect who I am as a, as a pastor and a leader and a member of this community. But it also happens maybe less in a less structured way, but in individual uh, relationships, you have someone say, Oh, well, you know, I was really stressed that day or, you know, this is some version of, but that's not really what was in my heart. So you can't be that mad about it. And being that it is so common in those ways, I think it's a really good thing to, know how to think about and how to uh, process and leave. Where do we start off with this? 
Well, it makes sense that when, you know, when you're confronted with a, an uncomfortable truth about yourself or you're, incom- you're confronted with, this was a moment where you, you know, kind of came off as a jerk. You kind of acted like a jerk right here. It's, it is extremely understandable to be uncomfortable with that and to feel like, well, let me, let me explain. Let me, let me get my defense in order and explain that this is what that was about. The thing about, as far as, you know, being people who follow the Lord in any way, I mean, real growth comes out of a place of honesty and humility. And the thing that is hard to believe until you actually do it is, yes, it feels very uncomfortable to say the words, you know what? I acted like a jerk and it was yep. wrong and it was super uncool. And and I'm really sorry about that. And and I'd love to 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 figure out what it would take to to make this right with you and and to, you know, to figure out how I can earn your trust again. Um, the, that is a, you know, just giving an undefensive apology or confession feels like a very uncomfortable thing to do, especially when you have that strange concoction of feeling embarrassed and ashamed. Uh, you've been busted. And that little combination of embarrassment and shame, that is a very, very uncomfortable thing to feel. The The problem is, is and and I'm and I'm saying this as a person who has experienced this like I'm saying this from a from a standpoint of experience in other words I'm not pointing the finger at you I'm pointing the finger at me I've been on I've I've handled situations like this both ways I have said before hey you know that wasn't me really that wasn't in my heart I've given the defensive answer I really like the way that Matt um patterns this in a way that we see you know, that's, that's not as obvious as the big, you know, uh, scandal defense of that wasn't me making those comments on that tape. That's not the real me. Um, in, in real life, like Matt's saying, it comes across more like, well, you know, I had a lot on my plate. I had a lot of pressures. I was very tired or I'd been sick the week before, you know, whatever those defenses are, I've been that defensive, defensive person because I've been afraid of the embarrassment and the shame, but I've also had times where I've had the courage to just say to someone, you know what? I I made the wrong call. I said the wrong thing. I acted like a jerk and that really was me. And and I'm really sorry for the way that that hurt you, um, for the way that I hurt you. I've, you know, not used passive verbs in describing what I did to somebody. And what I can tell you is, and this sounds weird if you've never been there, it's actually more painless to go ahead and do it that way. Um, it's actually more painless to go ahead and be, to come from a place of honesty and humility, because what can happen is there can be some actual repair in that relationship with way less scar tissue down the road. Um, you can actually get to the place where you can start to figure out what it would look like to build, to build trust again. And this is really key for me when I'm the offending party, I'm actually doing some growing. And that's the part that it's just hard to quantify. You actually do some growing when you go ahead and kind of take it on the chin of like, yeah, I, I'm the kind of person that every now and then uh, steps out of bounds, does the thing the wrong way, and I need to be able to say it. Um, real growth starts with honesty and humility. It feels scary. It feels really uncomfortable. But in my experience, you actually, it, it is actually an easier repair um, relationally, and it's better for me when I go ahead and, and come from a place of honesty and humility. 
I think it's a fantastic point, a great place to start that off. And Jed, to that point about honesty and humility, I think in the broader PR sense, we can be pretty clear that this is this is just a dodge. Yeah. But we we've talked a lot on the show over the years about what a good apology and an effective apology actually includes. And one yeah. of the things that it should include is I here is the plan for this to not happen in the future on some yeah. level. And I wonder if in those more interpersonal ways as Lee mentions kind of the embarrassment of being caught having done something wrong. I wonder if we were going to give it the most charitable reading we could, if that may not be what people are trying to angle at. Like I can, the reason this isn't going to happen again is because I wouldn't normally do this. And it's not yeah. ideal, but I wonder if that's a useful lens to kind of look at this thing through. Yeah, no, I think it is. And, and I think, right, like weirdly, there's a very significant difference between English is an imprecise language, right? And so like a public apology and a conversation one-on-one with a person you have wronged, they are both apologies, but they're really meant to do very different things. And they're, they're coming from very different places, right? Like the, the person, the online celebrity who said something really awful and is now saying, you know, they're doing the carefully scripted video where they say, this is not who I am. Like that is an apology, but it's 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 not quite the same thing as I hurt this specific person and now I am sitting down with this specific person and trying to make amends and, and figure this thing out. And if you intend or plan to be a celebrity, first, don't. Like, I can't emphasize that enough. That's <laughs> that's not a good life goal. If you're going to do it, get paid first. Yeah, yeah, don't. Get the money up front and then reconsider the celebrity portion. Uh, But you should know, like, there are people who study for a living how to script public apologies in the most effective way. Like, this stuff is literally studied in academic journals. It's a field of endeavor. Um, When you when you see like a really well executed apology video, people told them what to say. So there's there's that. But when you get into the realm of, you know, I hurt this person in real life and it's a person that I know and now we need to sit down together. um, Everything that Lee said is absolutely spot on. I think one of the things that people can really, really struggle with is this sense of like the me that was present when I hurt you, that's not the kind of person I wish to be. That's not the kind of person I want to be. And part of what I am hoping for is that you, as the person that I've hurt, will not reduce me and think of me as simply my worst moment. And what's interesting is that's a totally understandable request. You don't owe them that. You can think of them however you want to. Uh, but it is it is an understandable request to feel like I really whiffed on that. I don't think that's my typical way of being. And I really hope that you and other people will not basically typecast me as the guy who whiffed it. I think the interesting thing is exactly as Lee is saying, I think a lot of people would be willing to hear that out. If you would say that in those words, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, that's really not who I am because like, at least in part, it is who you are. Yeah. yeah. Y- you did it right. Like, so this is last year and it was super not fun, but it, um, it illustrates the point here. So 
Hallie and I had gone through a couple months that were just crazy busy, and you know, we we hadn't gotten to really have any kind of a proper date night together. And so we're like, you know, there's this there's a steakhouse we like. We're gonna go, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a night, we're gonna get dolled up, we're gonna have a nice meal, and it's gonna be great, and it's gonna be awesome. And we get home, and Hallie got the worst food poisoning from this place. Oh, um man. it man, it sucked so bad. Okay, so here's the thing is that's not how this restaurant typically is. And it wouldn't be fair to typify this place as the Crazy Jed's Food Poisoning Palace. But on the other hand, you did give my wife food poisoning. Both of these things can be true at the same time, where, like, most people who go here don't get food poisoning. But this person did. And I think that when we get into these moments of kind of interpersonal conflict, we we have kind of this interesting thing of both of these factors are true at the same time. This may not be the way you typically are, and it, it's it's fair to to be concerned about that, but at the same time, you did do this thing. You you may not be a person who says really inadvisable stuff all the time, noted, but you did say this inadvisable thing. And I think that that goes back to, to where Lee started us of being direct and being humble and it is almost always a mistake to try and be clever with your words in moments that really matter. Mm. Part of what you are seeing when you watch those packaged apology videos is a team of writers trying to get every emotional note just so. You shouldn't do that. It is almost always a mistake to try and be clever in moments that really matter. It is, to Lee's excellent point, almost always the right move to just say, hey, here's the deal. I said a bad thing and it was wrong and I should not have said it and it hurt you. And I take full responsibility for that. Um, I will not be saying things like that to you in the future. Uh, I, I hope that you can forgive me. I, I hope that um, you will give me an opportunity to uh, earn your trust. I, I hope that you will give me an opportunity to restore this relationship. You don't have to do that, but I, but I hope that you will um, because I was wrong full stop. Also, I feel really embarrassed because I like to think of myself as the kind of person that doesn't say the kind of mean crap that I said. And most of the time I'm not, but this time I was. And I feel like I almost canceled all the good stuff from all the times I don't do it by the time that I did it. And that's not your problem to solve because you're the person who got hurt, but I still feel embarrassed about that aspect of it too. And I don't even know what to do with that. An awful lot of people, if you would say that that way, they'd be like, dude, I feel that. And I know you're not normally yeah. like that. I, I get that. I mean, like you did, you did do that, but like, I totally feel you. And Hey man, it's same on a different day. The same thing could be true for me. So like, we don't, we don't have to do the embarrassment thing. Right. Again, you're normally a great restaurant, but you did get my wife sick. Both of these things can be true at the same time. Humility, man. Humility is a superpower. And, and that's really the beginning and the end of this. Absolutely right. I think these guys are both totally spot on. And I really am fascinated, and I think it's totally true, that bringing up the embarrassment aspect, because I think that drives so much of this in both areas. Um, to their point, when someone is in an interpersonal way, there's the idea of, I, if I'm in, I'm embarrassed by the way I behaved, I don't want to think of myself as totally that person, which is fine, but also to their point, you did it. And yeah. to your point, yeah. as the person, to our question asker's point, I think this is a very good thing they brought up. Um, 
as much as we would say no human being wants to be defined by who they are in their weakest moments or their snappiest moments or all that kind of part of the Christian worldview is that is who you are. It's not all of who you are. It's not the defining part of who you are, but it's in there. Yeah. It's kind yep. of a, a more broadly apple version of kind of in vino veritas. If someone says, Oh, I was someone said, Oh, I'm sorry. I said a mean thing. I was drunk. The, you, the booze didn't make you say the mean thing. It killed all the safeties that normally stop you from saying that mean thing. <laughs> But that's different. The Michelob made me mean, Matt <laughs> King. The Michelob. Yeah. The Mick Ultra <laughs> did not put that thought in you. It's the thing that let it come out when it was already in there. So, you know, when you're in an interpersonal relationship, you can say, yeah, you know, I was, I was really tired. and had a lot on my plate. And that's fine. But as, as they say, that's an explanation, not an excuse. In the interpersonal relationship, there still needs to be a but I shouldn't have said that, or I don't believe that about you. I was just trying to say something hurtful, or I was just lashing out, or I was just angry about something else. Whatever it is, that's a conversation that can be had, but that is kind of the root there. To the embarrassment point, when this happens in that more public context of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a husband and a father, and I don't consider this, that's not who I really am. That's being, that's most of the time, to my interpretation, this is just my thought, that's someone embarrassed because they got caught. Yep. That's not yep. really me is that's not something I would ever say if I knew that people were listening to me say it. That's what I say when I think that people aren't listening to me say it. And that's right. a problem in and of itself. So a revealing thing, but there's point of embarrassment really does add to this. Well, and just to jump in very quickly, you need to be clear on a difference in goals. The goal that you see in public apologies from public figures is to keep this as a viable brand that can make money. That is the goal of that form of public apology. The goal of you as a private individual talking to a person that you've hurt is not to maintain yourself as a brand that can make money. These are two wildly different things. Exactly. And to that point, the similar, the overlap in those two goals, I think is for this to be over. Yeah, you know, yeah. The yeah. pastor got busted doing whatever it was, and Lord knows it's happened a lot now. But you know, uh, John Mc McFamous pastor back here says, "Oh, that just doesn't really speak to who I am." That paper trail of things that I did, and the goal <laughs> is for someone to say, "Well, I guess it's not who he really is." What are you going to do? And to to move it on, which again, bad goal for them that you don't have to buy into, but in this interpersonal level. That's a super bad goal in an interpersonal way to say, like, yeah, what if we just don't talk about this thing? That's that's not how you move on to a healthy relationship either. And with that, we'll move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, how do you know when someone is over-spiritualizing things? I hear, I hear people talk very churchy or write stuff online, and the way they put it just seems like a lot for what they're talking about. But is that just me being judgmental? <laughs> I think another very cool a question and to speak to the humility we were talking about the previous question i like the we always appreciate the the what uh jet has dubbed over the years the jerk check of or maybe this is just me <laughs> but uh lee I, I do think over spiritualizing is is something a lot of people and all of us at some level are, are guilty of some some more than others but how do we how do we think about that how do we kind of compartmentalize when someone does it a lot when someone is applies it in certain situations, when should it raise a red flag? Where do we start with this idea of someone over-spiritualizing things? 
It's this is a really really cool question, really insightful question, and glad you wrote it in. I, I, when I think about this over spiritualization thing, which you know, I've seen a lot of it. I've been to a lot of church um, in my life. I haven't been to as much as Jed has been, which is actually pretty impressive because I've been to a lot. Well, you haven't been to as many services. If you'd stayed for all of them. You may have been to as many minutes <laughs> as Jed has. Because <laughs> Jed has, be. an, has an exit plan. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> you know, I, I was talking to our, we, we have a good buddy named Nino, and who was, uh, his, his dad moved him and his brothers all over the state of California when he was growing up. He never went to one school for more than like a few months or something like that. And one time he made the statement, I've been to every church in California. <laughs> and wow. you know some people have been to a lot a lot a lot of church all that to say you hear you hear this from certain you get to a place when you've been to an around enough church people that you can smell it pretty fast when somebody is over spiritualizing stuff you can just sense it you get you get that spidey sense tingling and it's like oh no here we go um for me when i think about what is the like what is my problem with someone who over spiritualizes things that they talk about in their life my problem is that the thing that's interesting to me about a life of faith is that God has something to say about like my actual life and what's happening into it, what's happening in it, how I'm going to make it through this week. And that may involve you as somebody that's in my community, somebody that's one of my friends, somebody that I'm walking alongside. And we may walk together, and we may pray together, and we may help each other in some way. But the thing that's interesting to me about a life of faith is I believe God cares about my real actual life, and I believe we might be able to help each other make our way through it. Um, when somebody's over-spiritualizing, what that usually means to me, and the thing that puts me off about it is I feel them creating distance between me and their actual life the heartbeat of who they really are. That, that process of over-spiritualizing, it's almost like a protective shield where they get to call shots or they get to be really clever or they get to have a microphone or they get to have attention or whatever, but we don't actually get what's going on in their life. So that to me is part of the problem. These guys may have some other things that they want to highlight as problems about that. That's what occurs to me and that's been my experience. Let me say, uh, give you a couple of things that I'm on the lookout for, um, or a couple of things that, that to me uh, are, are, are the things that trip the alarms of like, uh-oh, the alarm is going off, we have someone over-spiritualizing. So here's a couple of things. You're in a conversation, or you're in a small group, or you're in a community group, or something like that, and you've got that person who always speaks in theories, and never about their real life, and the theories are always super extreme. Like, you're talking about a spiritual principle. You're talking about something that you're learning about the Lord or whatever. And they say, yeah, well, what if somebody comes in with a suitcase nuke? You know, and all of a sudden you're just like, well, the conversation's over. You know, well, yeah, but what if you have stage four cancer tomorrow? It's like, well, look, we're not, <laughs> we're, we're now theoretically talking about the worst case scenario. And now I feel that you have a sermon that we're all about to hear. Um, this, this to me is one of the red flags is, when somebody doesn't speak about the things that are actually going on in their life, um, but they go to theories and extreme versions of theories. 
Here's another tripwire that I would be looking for is always cliches. Like always the things you've heard every Christian say about every situation, you know, whatever it is, whether or not it's in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves or whatever the things are. Again, we're distancing the conversation from my actual life or just, well, you know, if you just prayed about it, have you prayed about it, Jed? You know, no. And, <laughs> you For know, an or, hour a day or, or at least 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't have the $90 to spend to get to pray about it for an hour a day. <laughs> have you prayed about it in the cold shower, Jed? Um, and th- it's it's when you get those kinds of things of like, well, you know, if you were to read God's word about that, or, you know, um, that's why we have the Holy Spirit is this or that or the other thing. When when people take you to when people take you to some jargon, okay, and that's an important word, cliches and jargon. Instead of us actually talking like human beings about what's really going on in our lives. And this is my third tripwire. So you got theories and extreme theories, cliches and jargon. And then this is the third one for me that always trips me out. In your interactions with certain people, can they only talk about God and church and Jesus and that kind of stuff? Or can they talk about anything else? Like, can you have a normal human conversation about sandwiches or TV shows? or, you know, or sports, or literally any other pursuit or hobby or any other area of life, does it always have to come back to something we're learning about the Lord? Um, Because the thing is, is that, like, real human beings have other stuff they're concerned with, and they spend time on, and they spend mental energy on, other stuff that they enjoy and other stuff that they talk about. Again, the problem for me with with over-spiritualizing is when somebody creates distance between what's the actual thing that's going on, their actual hurt, their actual questions, their actual doubts, all that kind of stuff, and whatever their religion is supposing to be. Because to me, the thing that's so interesting about a life of faith is just the nuts and bolts of like what's actually going on in my heart and life. Don't create distance. Let's talk about it. So be on the lookout for some of those things. And in your relationships with people that you trust, don't be afraid to show them who you really are and talk about where the rubber meets the road with all of this Jesus stuff and with all of your life stuff. A great place to start that off. Jed, where do we take it from there? Well, you know, I I love everything that Lee said. I think he's right on the money. One of the things that I am often looking at is... If I'm dealing with another person, right, and they they are the way they are, are we accomplishing anything here? I'll give you an example of what I mean, right? So, like, in, in Christianity and in religion, there's kind of, you know, being more spiritual than you need to. But, like, I work with a lot of musicians and creatives, and there's some people that just, they just love being arty. They just, man, they, they've got to record their ideas in leather-bound journals and they just they they've got a process that they've got to work. And before we could record these vocal tracks, of course, I've got to I've got to warm up and I've got a I've got to set an intention for this session. And we need to light some incense and I need to just I need to center myself and like, oh, OK. But kind of my question is, are we actually going to record anything, though? <laughs> yeah. If there's time. I mean, like the thing for me is like, I can put up with an awful lot of arty arts and if you will actually sing into the microphone 
and I get usable vocals at some point in this session. Like, if if you can do that, and there's time for you to have the incense and the centering yourself and the warm up and the setting your intention. All right, that's cool. I you know if it makes you happy and functionally speaking, we're able to do the thing we need to do here. That's great. Um, but if we if it's all the arty spin up and we never quite get around to actually recording music that we that we have over arted. You're wondering, you know, if people are over spiritualizing things that is over arting things. So I kind of apply a similar thing with stuff around Christianity of like. There are some folks who just they just love talking spiritual talk. They just the the more jargon they can fit in, the happier they are. And just the more hallelujahs and amens and C.S. Lewis references they can get in there, just the, the better it is. And kind of my question is, is this person pointed in a productive direction and just kind of going overboard with their religious garnishes? Or are they using religious trappings to avoid what they need to do and see and accomplish, which is exactly what, what Lee is describing, right? It's like, let's look for a second at Micah 6 eight, where it says, What does the Lord your God require of you, O man, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? If you're actually acting for mercy and justice in the world— like if you're if you're out there doing something in some way to be merciful to people and to promote justice in this world, dude. If if you want to quote C.S. Lewis while you're doing it, okay. Like I I wouldn't because it's not really my jam. But like if it if it makes you happy to just recite passages of Tozier as you are ladling soup at the soup kitchen, well, by all means, I you know <laughs> uh, okay you know rock out. But if what you want to do is First, we're going to do a 32-week series about the early church fathers and the theology of mercy, and then eventually we'll get to and we'll we'll figure out whether or not there's a soup kitchen in the area that we could maybe partner in some way. That is not good, and that is right. that is very much missing the point. So I think one of the things that Christians really struggle with and and really have difficulty seeing is they have their own aesthetic preferences that they confuse for living out the Christian life. Yeah, man. Like the thing about CCM is exempting the lyrics. It's just its own style of music. It is a blending of Joshua tree era. U two with modern pop country. It is, it is those two things. And that's fine. That's fine. It's totally cool. That's not, is it? No, no. I mean, based on that description, is that fine? Jed, (laughs) let's be honest with the people. (laughs) Like it's just noises, man. It's just bleeps and bloops. If, If you, if that music makes you happy, that's cool, but there's nothing intrinsically spiritually important about it. It's just, the noises that you happen to like. And that's, and that's great. But I think there are an awful lot of Christians that, that haven't grasped that your aesthetic preferences do not make you holy. Your aesthetic preferences don't make you more of a Christian or less of a Christian. And your aesthetic preferences critically don't help anybody else. Mm. Right. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick and the imprisoned. Dude, you can wear whatever kind of t-shirt you want when you do that. 
and you can have whatever kind of music you want in your headphones when you do that. It doesn't it doesn't make any difference. You can wear a Skinner T and listen to Cardi B at the same time. But the Christian thing is the part where you are feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting the sick and the imprisoned. The aesthetics of it don't really, really matter. You should do whatever you like. But I think that's the thing that a lot of Christians miss out on is believing it is the Chris Tomlin part that makes it Christian, not the feeding the hungry part. And that's where we've missed the cue. That is all fantastic advice, except possibly about the Leonard Skinner part, because there is some iconography on some of your Leonard Skinner t-shirts that you may not want to wear into Cook County Jail, for example. Totally fair. (laughs) Good point. Totally fair. Maybe be careful with the Skinner too. That's right. Maybe wear the Cardi B T. Listen to the Skinner on your way in. Uh, there it County is. Jail, given, <laughs> there you know, it is. Nothing wrong with the artistics of it. We just want to uh, always want to be aware of the audience, as they say. Uh, great advice from both of these guys. One th- one thing I'll tackle on the end here: a, a different kind of over spiritualizing. As these guys have pointed out, there are some people who are just uh, they're church churchson. They love it. They they work it in a conversation, and that's it's its own issue. There's another type of over-spiritualization, which is someone who doesn't talk about God's stuff very much, except when they want you to feel bad about something. Oh, mm. yeah. Or they want you to see their way of something. And then there's a yeah. whole lot of, well, the Bible clearly says that the man is the head of the household or whatever nonsense. And uh, here's the best way to deal with that. No. Yeah. Just, yeah. nope. You need a better argument than that. Just because you say that that's what the Bible says being that you never actually talk about the Bible, um, nope, pass, don't have to deal with it. <coughs> and it's the same general theory. When someone's main type of conversation is churching all over everything, you don't actually have to engage with that every time. And if they only do it every once in a while, you certainly don't have to engage with that when they're trying to uh, manipulate you. And neither way, in the same way that the CCM thing is an aesthetic preference, um, because Jesus told me so is not like some weird trump card people get to throw out just to make you do whatever they want. Uh, so right. you don't have to bow to that if someone comes at it that way as well. All right, we're going to move on to our final question. Here it comes in and says, so John 12, 47, 48 says, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I judge. I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There's a judge for the one who rejects me and he and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them in that last day. What does that mean? Jesus doesn't judge me, but God does. Aren't they the same? A very, a very interesting question. Uh, uh, always an interesting thing. We're always appreciative when you run across something in the scripture that uh, doesn't make sense to you at first blush. Always have to be a resource on that. And Lee, where do we start off here? This is a great question. And there's some stuff that I think will be really, really helpful if we talk a little bit about the context and especially the audience that Jesus is speaking to. But before we get into the weeds on that, I want to say it emphatically and clearly, two things. One, God wants everyone to be saved. That's thing number one. God wants everyone to be saved. Thing number two, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord is saved. That's thing number two. I want you to—we we really—we're we, going to get into answering your question, but we, we can't go any further unless we have a really firm grasp on— the fact that the Bible roundly and often tells us this is the heart of God. He loves everyone, that, and no one is exempt from that. God loves everyone. He wants and desires for everyone to be saved, and anyone who calls on Jesus' name to be saved, you're saved. 
Um, okay, so let's so now let's get into the context a little bit. Here's the context of John chapter 12. Uh, zoom out. This is the last week of Jesus's life before he went to the cross. The opposition against him from the religious leadership, the, this is the power, the class of people that were in power in his society, that opposition was heating up massively, rapidly. It was getting very, very tense. They had plotted for a long time to get him killed, and that, those plans were in motion during this last week. Um, that's important because the, the things that were troubling to you when you read these verses, he was speaking those things to those people, the people who were super upset with him and who were literally plotting to kill him and get him off of the face of the earth. That's a really important thing. And their whole thing was, you're claiming to have this relationship with God where you are God's son, where you are, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, I and the Father are one, exactly as you're asking in your, in your question. They're like, you're claiming that you're on the level with God, but we don't believe that about you, and we believe that we are speaking for God when we say, you don't deserve to be on the face of the earth, and that's why we're plotting to kill you. And what Jesus was saying to them in response to that was, I want to be very clear with you. I did not come to judge or send anybody to hell or anything. That's not why I came. I came to save people. The issue that you're having is if you get to the end, if you let this play play out in the current attitude that you're having, the God that you think you're defending, you're going to find out he had my back the whole time. And this was our plan was to make it possible for anybody who wants to, to be saved. Because again, God loves everyone. He wants everyone to be saved. And that's why I have come. I have come to make that possible. So what he's saying to these guys is he's not saying like, look, hey man, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge you, but God's going to judge the crap out of you wholesale to anybody. That's not what Jesus is saying. To a very specific group of people who wanted to kill him, he was saying, I know you don't believe me, but if you get to the end of this, you're going to find out God had my back the whole time because we have a plan together. And the plan is we want everybody to be saved. Again, let's just focus on Jesus's words. I'm not here to judge, but to save. Beautifully put. If you have an issue with any of the theologicals laid out in that, uh, email it to we don't care at saythatpodcast.com. <laughs> uh, a wonderful place to start off. Uh, well put on every level. And Jed, where do we close this out? I love everything Lee said. Um, and so let's pivot a little bit from the, the specifics of that to kind of one of the things that we can take away. And I'm going to tell you something that I'm trying to land on in my own life. You don't have to be on this journey, but it's something that I'm working on. And if it's useful to you, then, you know, uh, hold on to it. But there is a tremendous amount of freedom when you're able to say, Hey, look, man, all of your drama, that's, that's between you and God. I'm, I'm not up in that. I'm not trying to be up in that. I'm here to help the people I can help. Um, and, uh, if, if, if that's not you, that's cool. Um, but that's, that's what I'm trying to be about. That's an intense amount of freedom. That's a pretty like life changing amount of freedom. And I'm actually, we're going to jump to a different scripture passage because obviously Jesus and Paul were two, you know, different human beings, like in a, in a literal sense, but they also, 
Um, That's news to some of our reformed brethren. Dude. Uh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> as, as two distinct different human beings, they also certainly had a different flavor of how they, they thought about stuff because they, they were two different people. But now um, here is Paul talking. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but this is first Corinthians four. Uh, we'll do verses three through five. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until mm. the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. These are different words, but the heart of what Paul is saying here is identical to what Jesus is saying in the passage that you asked about. There is a one-for-one correspondence to what Jesus and Paul are saying. And to me, whenever we have those moments in the Bible of two different people, and especially if it's Jesus and Paul saying (laughs) the exact same thing, I think we really need to take a moment and listen. And again, to me, I think it's all about freedom. It's all about Mm. saying... I'm not getting caught up in this drama. One of the biggest time wastes and energy wastes in the world is um, is judging other people and and trying to you know um, convince people who aren't interested that you're right. You know, and what's up, Lee? What you got, man? What you got? I just I just wonder, Jed, based on what you're saying about the Bible, does the Bible say I should judge some things before the time or all the things that uh, that matter to me before the time? Let's, you know what, I just to check, because I don't want to speak, you know, uh, presumptuously or premature, but let's right. go to the text. First Corinthians chapter four, verse five, therefore judge nothing oh, before the appointed time. Nothing. nothing. Okay. Absolutely nothing. Wait until the Lord comes. There is so much freedom in being able to say to people, look, man, judging is not my job. I'm not, I'm not here for that. That's, I'm, I'm not qualified to do it. I'm not, um appointed to do it. I'm not employed to do it. I'm not right. authorized to do it. Don't, don't, don't put me in a position, expect me to do something that I can't do that. I'm not going to do that, that I won't do. But again, I think that the key thing and the thing that, that I would just want to emphasize to you is the freedom that comes from that. Like I, I, this has always been true in a sense, but I think it's more true than it has been in a very long time because of social media. Every time you go on your tablet or device or phone or whatever, there are people saying, man, we got some sweet drama for you to get up in. We got some really, really good drama. You've got some attention and emotional energy to spend. And man, we've got the good drama right here. You can get up and you can get angry and you can get upset and you can burn all of your time and energy on this good drama right here. And being a kind of person who's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm about. There's people I want to help. Um, you know, I'm going to try and be about that. Dude, that's what I hear Jesus saying. That's what I hear Paul saying. And I think that that's actually the Christian life that we are called to. Boom. Fantastic stuff from both of these guys. If you have a question, say that podcast.gmail.com. Nope, that's not how emails work. Say that podcast at gmail.com. Also, the bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to get at us that way, totally anonymous. Take out the song this week. Jed mentioned Micah 6.8. We'll take out the Pool House Guru version 
of that yeah. fantastic scripture tear at that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah.